Connection through conversation. Join self-described conversationalist Stacy Heller as she talks with guests about topics and ideas that are sometimes informational, sometimes inspirational, and always entertaining on Stacy Connects. Hey everybody, welcome to Stacy Connects. I am Stacy. This show is all about making connections through conversation. Because uh, I find that by asking questions instead of making assumptions, we might learn something. Thanks again to all that listen to the show and the podcast. I'm always really tickled when people tell me they actually listen to either or both. And I'm also semi-surprised since I seem to have a pretty quiet following, which is fine. Um, But at the same time, I would love to hear from people. If you enjoy the conversations, then please share the podcast. You can leave comments and rate. That really helps me connect with people. And remember, you can call live into the show. Call 425-373-5527. I have a guest today, a friend, uh, Dan Faulkner. We will uh, say, hey, Dan. (laughs) Hello. There we go. Um, We will get further into how I know Dan and uh, have a great conversation with him. In the meantime, I am going to do my typical thing, which I typically call my brain dump. However, I feel like it's like the last week um, and I'm typically updating people on what has happened. So uh, I would be remiss to talk about uh, what happened yesterday. Um, A friend actually shared a Facebook post today about the Highland Park parade shooting. And somebody posted something on Facebook that I thought really captured the craziness of this. Uh, They commented that you need to present a driver's license to purchase most over-the-counter cold medicines and how you need a license to go fishing and You have to have a credit check and a criminal background check before you can rent an apartment. Uh, The fact that you have to get a permit before you can do any construction on your home. uh, And even that an Uber driver can choose to not pick you up based on your star rating. Uh, But you can cross a state line into Indiana and purchase an AR-15 with no questions asked. And uh, it's just a crazy thing uh, that, I don't know, I feel like our country is a little wackadoodle right now, and it's just a bummer, and uh, hopefully people speak up. However, um, I'm not going to spend too long on that. I also want to talk about Veranda Beach, which is where I have been for the past couple weeks, and I got to tell you, lake life, I am loving it. First of all, uh, tonight, I think for our weekly date night, Pete and I are going to go to Canada. That's right. International travel for date night. Just saying. Um, It'll be our first time and uh, I'm super excited. And we have been action people, which is a little off brand for me, especially. We rode our e-bikes. We have Uh, e-bikes from Pedego, which we love. Uh, If you ever want to try them, you can rent them actually from their Redmond shop and you can uh, ride along the path there and um, 
and they're awesome. Anyway, so rode our e-bikes, learned that Pete feels the need to pedal, whereas I just use the um, fully the throttle. And I'm like, why pedal when I can just ride? So it's like my bike motorcycle, which is sort of redundant. But uh, Pete, meanwhile, is like Pee Wee Herman riding in the background behind me trying to keep up. So we rode into town on uh, Saturday morning. We went to the farmer's market. Uh, they have an interesting assortment of things. There's a guy there who does woodworking and I bought an amazing uh, platter or wood tray that can be used for charcuterie, which, you know, charcuterie is like one of the big words uh, that has come out of the past five years. People love charcuterie. Um, and there's somebody that makes all kinds of funky jams. Like it was a red pepper and nectarine jam, which to me sounds hideous. Uh, Pete, of course, loved it with his tuna. Weird, but whatever. Um, music, amazing. It's just like a really fun small town vibe. We then rode around town, found a shop in town that is basically um, what would happen if somebody had a hoarder move out of their home and then they turned it into a store. The store had everything. And clearly at one point it was pretty organized. However, that is no more. And this store you could get lost in for, I kid you not, like five, six hours and constantly discover new things. And what we found is really cool wine glasses. We needed some wine glasses. Um, so wrapped them up, put them in our bike basket and headed home. And, uh, and it's been a really fun week. The weather has been cooperating except when it didn't, which was yesterday during the day, we had crazy thunder and lightning storms, which made me think of when I was growing up and watching storms with my dad and, they were just rolling through here. And so it was kind of nature's fireworks display before we had the, um, the veranda beach fireworks display last night, which was also pretty awesome. Um, they were lighting them right off the beach and there's nothing like sparklers and fireworks raining down on you to, uh, be both awe-inspiring and slightly terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> the little girls that were on the swings uh, behind us where we were watching kept screaming every time one went off. So that was fun. Um, so it's just been an awesome time. And uh, to be able to do the show, I just noticed that I have a totally different energy when I'm here. Um, and it's awesome. Now, mom, the mom update. Hey, mom. Hey, Diane. Hey, Lee. Mom has already started packing for her trip. Now she arrives next Tuesday, but she started packing yesterday. And, uh, is it because her wrist is still a little wonky from the break? Maybe. Uh, is it because she wants to make sure that she packs everything? Possibly. I think it's just because she's so freaking excited and she cannot decide, um, how many pants to bring and what to bring and whatever. I reminded her to bring shorts and a bathing suit to which she responded, uh, no, I will not be bringing those. So apparently mom is going to be in pants and very cute long sleeve shirts while she's visiting us in Veranda Beach and in Seattle during the one time of year that it's actually warm. So that's fine. 
whatever she wants to do. It's Joan's world and we all live in it. Uh, And I also want to let people know that if you're local, go to the Lego store that is at Bellevue Square and say hello to their newest employee, Charlie. That's right. Our son Charlie is working there and I am sure that he would be horrified by people that he doesn't know coming in to say hello to him and telling him how they listen to his mother's show. And that just makes me so happy because I'm that kind of mother. Uh, He's actually having a great time. He said to me the other day, um, when the first day he started, he said, I find myself smiling for no reason. And I haven't smiled for no reason in a really long time, Uh, which is uh, something that just made my heart sing. And it's actually something that I'm going to be talking about with Dan a little bit later in the show. Um, that's the kind of thing that you want to hear from your kid. Uh, okay. Now my, my Staceyism for today, uh, it is this, I'm not sure what it is that made me think of this. Um, I, if I'm being truly honest, I think it's the bad romance novel that I read uh, while I was hanging out by the pool the other day. And uh, so the Staceyism is the biggest obstacle to healing isn't forgiving others, it's forgiving yourself. So, you know, it's one of these romance novels where, you know, uh, there's that inner hurt and all these kinds of things. And like, you know, she's a strong woman that don't need no man and she's slightly damaged and blah, blah, blah. And he's this and that, whatever. You get the point. Uh, Pretty much the romance trope. However, as I was thinking about it and resonating with some of these things, I realized that uh, really the thing that stops us from fully healing or fully being able to move on as a total person is the fact that Uh, forgiving others is hard if something has happened, whether it's your upbringing or somebody slated you or there's been some falling out, that's hard enough. Uh, But honestly, it's the forgiving yourself that I find is the hardest thing and uh, deciding to let it go so that you can stop reliving the same narrative over and over and over again. And it's so interesting to me how often I'm hearing this particular conversation in my life and the things that people are talking about. So I don't know if it's the age or the stage or the the state of the world right now, but there is a lot of conversation, at least around me, that has been something along these lines. So I figured I'd put it in a Staceyism. Okay, well, that was my usual verbal vomit all over everyone. So uh, I appreciate that everyone hangs in there and listens to all of this. I do want to remind you that if you are uh, so inclined and you want to let me know about my weekly verbal vomit and uh, if you have any ideas or questions or topics or uh, guest thoughts, then remember that you can text or call 475-999-2726. And with that reminder, I am going to say, let's take a break. And then when we come back, we are going to be talking to Dan Faulkner. Keep listening. We'll be right back with Stacey Connects. Yeah. 
Looking to reconnect with your partner, spouse, kids, or self? When the disconnect seemingly has been there for a lifetime and is impacting your relationships, it's difficult to determine how and where to start. But At the Root with Greg Kuyper of Kuyper Counseling is the perfect first step. Throughout each episode, Greg talks about establishing emotional connection with ourselves and others. He offers experience, advice, explanation, and resources to listeners. You can find past episodes on his website, KuyperCounseling.com, or through his YouTube channel, Connection Through Awareness with Greg Kuyper. Stacy Connects, it's not just my business, it's my superpower. Whether you need the right tone and messaging for a new venture, or you've plateaued with your current one, I can help. I connect clients with themselves and their potential. Then I identify unique solutions that translate your brand into messaging that connects your target audience with your business. Go to stacyconnects.com to connect with me and your messaging. Alternative Talk 1150, local talk for the body, mind, and soul. Welcome back to Stacy Connects. Uh, of course, with my whole intro today, clearly I am starved for conversation with someone other than Pete, whom I love dearly, but uh, we have been together and I haven't been able to talk to really many more people than him. So... I, like I said, I needed to do a little verbal vomit, uh, but now I have Dan here. Welcome, Dan. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm super excited to connect with you. I have known you for quite a while now. We met yeah. uh, because you were a member of uh, the BNI chapter that I'm a member of currently, mm-hmm. and uh, you are a uh, I remember when I became president and I had to do a presentation and I talked about the kind of the levels of how members are. And I said, there's like the incoming, there's the freshmen who kind of are new to the chapter and don't really know how it works. And there's the sophomores that are kind of like just doing their thing. They're not new anymore, uh, but they're sort of skating. And then there's the juniors who, you know, are like, they're really doing their thing because like, they've got to like get the next level of their business, AKA the equivalent of trying to get into college. Mm -hmm. And then there's the seniors who are like, "Eh." and, um, and then there's the super seniors, the people that have, and it's not in the typical way. This is the one deviation. The super seniors are the people that have gone past the, "Eh," and we're really, um, awesome people to talk to. They've been at BNI for a while. They've been in their business for a while. Uh, they have interesting perspectives. And that's where I always thought of you. There were certain members that, you know, I'm like, oh, Dan's one of the super seniors. Like, you know, he knows his way around this. He's been in business. He has a very uh, clear business that he has and your brand, like you just seem to have it all together. Well, I appreciate that. Very good words. Well, I mean, you know, I'm just saying. So uh, you are a real estate agent and you are with Compass, Mm -hmm. or I should say Compass is with you. (laughs) It's confusing for people. I mean, it's kind of like a, it's not exactly a franchise, but it's kind of the same idea. Like I I basically just, you know, own a Jamba Juice. And if I wanted to go to Emerald City Smoothie, I could, you know. (laughs) Right. Well, and 
I would imagine that with uh, with real estate, it it comes down to uh, whose uh, resources can you take the best advantage of and are going to help you connect the best with the people that you want to serve. Yeah, that's exactly right. It just comes down to, um, yeah, who can help me provide the best client experience, you know, and, and, and provide the best tools. And so that's, I was with John L. Scott for 13 years and I, I love John L. Scott, great company, very grateful for my time there, but just time to go. And I felt that compass was the best option for that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, uh, my friend Brenda, who is also an agent, she is newer to this. I think it's been uh, less than three years that she's been an mm-hmm. agent. And I remember when she was thinking about uh, joining the Compass team, she um, I connected her with you and was like, hey, talk to Dan. Dan will give you a, a real perspective on working with this uh, team and this group. And, uh, and that's one of the things that I think have always impressed me is the transparency that you have and that you recognize that that's actually a point of, uh, customer service and just service to other people. Totally. Yeah. Service to others is a, um, is a big deal. And that's kind of one of the cornerstones of, um, you know, addiction and recovery, which I know we'll talk about at some point. Um, and yeah, I remember, I do remember talking to Brenda and I was brutally honest with her about the pros and cons of, of, uh, making the move. And, uh, I think, yeah, it's, it's always been difficult for me to be anything, but that way and just brutally Mm -hmm. honest and transparent. And it's gotten me into some trouble in my life, but you know, it's, we kind of are how we are, you know? Well, and I give you credit because there are a lot of people that uh, don't recognize who they are early on and, mm-hmm. you know, work with it or work through it or, you know, acknowledge it. And then they spend a lifetime, uh, you know, trying to figure it out. And then all this time wasted when it's like, just be who you are and acknowledge, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. And, uh, it may turn out the things that you think are bad or ugly turn into one of your greatest strengths or your superpower or your way to connect or serve others. You never know. And it's one of those things that I'm still trying to unravel, um, and, and figure out, you know, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at you know, things like that. But uh, yeah, you're exactly right. You you never know what, what is going to turn into a superpower. So uh, the other way that you and I have connected is anybody that knows me personally, or maybe you've gotten the sense as you've been listening to Stacy connects over the past, however long it's been on 18 months, I think I tend to collect people. And I don't mean that they become my property by any stretch. It's just this sort of glass menagerie of fragile people and souls that, you know, uh, when I talk about how I've never seen an elephant in the room that I didn't want to befriend or talk to, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, The people that uh, are a little left of center are the people that intrigue me. There's a story there. And, you know, we all have a story and all of us has something 
but the ones that uh, seem to be outwardly struggling more, I'm very drawn to. And so uh, as is the case with a young man who I know and who has really given me the gift of trusting me. And that is something that I don't take lightly. And I had a feeling that he would connect well with you. Uh, He really struggling with what he wants to do. uh, What does it all mean? Um, You know, I think some, there's a whole bunch of things that were going on and I recognized that uh, it was time for him to come home, that he needed to get help and have some support and just acknowledge what's going on and that he can't do it alone. And so I instantly thought of you because uh, you as a young man um, made a decision of your own. And I'm not going to share your story because it's not my story. So if you want to tell my listeners uh, a little bit about your story, then they'll see why I connected you with this young man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I just in February had 21 years uh, sober from from drugs and alcohol. Um, And that's congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I've been, uh, I got sober when I was 18. So it's been, um, did I say 21? I meant 20. Um, because I had it myself, but yeah, I got sober when I was 18. Um, and it was, it was a hard slot getting there. I mean, um, you know, I grew up in a fairly difficult and, and traumatic household. Um, my very first memory was being at like three or four years old. And, uh, my mom wanted to put me down for a nap and I, you know, I have a two-year-old right now, so I kind of know how these things go, but I really wanted, uh, I, I had a, uh, toy gun, um, mm-hmm. back in the day we had toy guns. Right. And, um, I really wanted to go to, to like, it was like my toy at the time and I wanted to go to sleep with it. I couldn't find it. So I was throwing a temper tantrum and my mom kind of had a temper and it was very volatile and she kind of threw me on the bed, slammed the door, came back a couple minutes later and she found the gun and she took it and she threw it and I bounced across the floor a few times and hit me in the face and then broke into like a bunch of different pieces. Like I still remember playing with the springs on the inside of it, like crying myself to sleep. Mm-hmm. And it basically didn't ever get much better than that. I mean, there were some good times growing up um, for sure, but it was, it was a tough tough household to existed. And there was always a threat. There was always something that could happen. You never knew when somebody was going to explode. Um, you know, still to this day, like spilling things was a, was a big no, no. Right. And you would just get smacked if you did. And I still have trouble spilling things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so fast forward a little bit, um, you know, I'm an awkward teenager. Um, you know, I'm, I, that was labeled gifted, which, um, in that context would meant that I'm, I was like smart enough to be like in the kind of smart class, but not smart enough to be in a really smart class, basically just like a little too smart for my own good. And I was a little tormented and, uh, I ended up smoking pot for the first time. And it was kind of like the switch flipped and it was like, I finally kind of got that relief that I was looking for. Um, fast forward another few years, um, it kind of progressed, you know, Mm -hmm. 
there's a lot of debate over whether marijuana is a gateway drug or not. Um, I have a view of that. So I'm yeah, curious. What's your view? Uh, okay, let's put a pin because I want to come back to okay. uh, what you're going to say. Um, my view and what I talk to our kids about is that the problem with marijuana is that you're potentially going to have a good, successful experience with drugs the first time. Uh, and by good, I mean, uh, unlike some other drugs, you may not instantly become uh, addicted in the same way. Um, you know, it may, um, you know, it may make you giggly or more social, or it may calm you down and your anxiety or, um, you know, you have the munchies or whatever it is. Uh, but generally it's going to be fairly successful. And so to me, gateway is like, it's welcoming. It's like, Hey, come on in, like the water's fine. And so if you have that good first experience, then you may continue to do it more, which then if you're using it that much, it begs the question, is it a crutch of some kind? And then additionally, does it give you a false sense that trying other drugs will be as successful? And so that's the conversation that I had with my kids. Yeah, I get that. I mean, you know, I heard a friend who owns a, a local treatment center put it this way. He's like, not everyone who smokes pot is going to end up smoking crack, but I guarantee you everyone who smokes crack did not start smoking crack, right? They started mm -hmm. doing something else. And so, no, it's not a guarantee that you're going to end up a drug addict, but it's basically, you know, drinking or, or marijuana is how most people start. And, um, that's kind of what happened to me is, you know, 14, I'm smoking pot out of a pop can. And by the time I was 17, I'm like a full fledged late stage drug addict smoking speed out of a light bulb. And, um, which most people can't really, you know, visualize me that way mm -hmm. and I have trouble understanding how I used to be, but I mean, I was a small time drug dealer. Um, I was doing, I mean, I, I literally for 18 months just didn't have a day clean and sober. One other thing I've had to say, um, is, you know, my dad really tried the best that he could. Um, uh, but there, there was just some, some strange stuff growing up, you know, in, in my household, like my dad, um, was a conspiracy theorist before it was cool to be a conspiracy theorist. Right. And so when I'm like, seven years old, like he had to sit down and talk with me about like which spaceship to get on, um, when the rapture happens and things like that. And I don't know if I ever really believed it or not. And, and I, you know, I love my dad very much. I really do think he did the best that he could, but there was just a lot of factors that kind of went into me being in a bad spot. Mm -hmm. and, I'm, and maybe I would have been an addict anyway. I, I don't know. I'm not blaming everything on my parents, but, um, it, it was just a, a, a rough time. And so, you know, I'm 17, late stage drug addict, 135 pounds. Um, and I got presented with an opportunity to go to treatment. Um, and part of me, like I, I knew that I was probably going to die uh, or go to mm -hmm. prison. Like people ask me like, what did you want to do when you were a junior in high school? I'm like, I honestly just didn't think about it. Cause I didn't think that I would be around to sure. do anything. Um, so I went to treatment, um, you know, had relapsed once I got out, ended up getting sober a couple of months later. And, um, you know, I've been sober ever since through a lot of trials and tribulations. It's, uh, it's 
an amazing story. Uh, first of all, um, as I said, it's one of these things with uh, forgiving others and forgiving yourself. Um, yeah. And, you know, this resonates. And, you know, even when I think about uh, Charlie um, and I think about the boys, uh, you know, it can go both ways as a mom of two girls and a mom of two boys, um, you know, Girls are very often uh, not diagnosed with things like depression and they can hide it or ADHD because they feel the need to perform at a certain level and this kind of thing. Uh, but I would say equally upsetting is what I see happen with young men. Uh, I can count uh, on probably six fingers the number of people that I know that have children that have been unhappy with school, have experienced uh, suicidal ideation, have left school, are depressed, are uh, needing to take some time off, are maybe dealing with some addiction issues or other mental health issues. And it is a whole different set of messaging that happens for young men, it seems like, than what happens for young women. Yeah, 100%. And it's, I think, one of the things that's baked into our culture which isn't a, a good thing is that boys and men aren't supposed to feel their feelings. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. it is so subtle. And, and like I said, it's just like built into our world that you don't even real. it's like, you know, something bad happens to a guy and, and somebody has like some motivational thing to say, like be resilient and you can do it and, and all this other stuff. And there's a time and a place for that, but it's like, you know um, like, give, give the boy or the man or whatever it is space to cry or feel it or mourn, whatever it is. And like, let's not rush on to the motivational uh, euphemism right away. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's the thing that, uh, you know, it takes a while to figure it out. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the young man uh, that I connected uh, with you you know, he just didn't feel like he fit into all of the pathways that kids get pushed into. And, mm -hmm. you know, so then that makes it difficult where you feel like, what is wrong with me that I'm not able to enjoy all of the things that, you know, my siblings have, or my peers have, you know, why do I look so different? Why is everything so hard? And so then it becomes this cyclical dialogue narrative that happens and uh, the mental health piece really starts to kick in. Do yeah. you think that, um, do you think that at the, at the heart of all addiction is mental health or do you think that it is, um, you know, there's uh, the genetic piece. I mean, it's certainly a disease. Um and then there's the maybe situational uh, that happens, but do you think at the core, it's a mental health thing? I think it's tough to know where one starts and the other ends. Sometimes I think they're all kind of, um, kind of, it's a, it's a continuum, but I, you know, I used to think that it was pretty strictly like a medical genetic thing. Like if you had the, the genes, and it got switched on at some point in your life, like that's, that's it. 
and I kind of more take the take there, there's a, a an author and a doctor named Gabor Mate, which he's a little controversial, has some some uh, weird stuff as far as like um, I should say weird, I should say nonconformist stuff surrounding um, taking hallucinogens to uh, heal from trauma and depression mm-hmm. and things like that. But he worked on Skid Row in Vancouver, BC for for years as a doctor, and he believes that it, you know yes genetics play a part but it's in large part a trauma it, it's trauma and or attachment so a lot of people don't necessarily have a traumatic childhood but maybe they have some attachment issues like if you know what i think about attachment theory in psychology mm-hmm. i don't know a ton about it but um and, and so i kind of take that approach like yeah there's like it's kind of like the soup where like you kind of have the ingredient here by the genetics. And if you put the wrong ingredients in, like you're going to have a, a disaster. Um, and that guy, he wrote a book, I think it's called in the realm of hungry ghosts. And he said like any IV drug user that he knew, mm-hmm. um, every single one of them had gnarly, like uh, traumas that you just can't even imagine. And he talked about them in the book. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that answers your question, but I think it's mostly trauma and attachment based in, in some genetics. I would agree. I think everybody has uh, trauma. So I had Dr. Rich Adler on the show a few weeks ago, and he specializes in PTSD uh, and is the founder of the PTSD Institute. And one of the things that I've learned is that trauma is not just the emotional trauma. It's also things like uh, CTEs, like uh, uh, people in sports get and those kinds of things. And that I've also learned that there's no yardstick by which to measure the incident that is considered traumatic. It is how you react to it. And so, you know, um, I always joke about, you know, oh, my parents didn't listen to me and that's why this show is my therapy. And for me in the, uh, in the spectrum of trauma, that is nothing. There is nothing traumatic. I was in a happy environment with parents who loved me clearly and loved each other. There was, I wasn't wanting for anything and whatever. And yet for my sensitivities, uh, I at times didn't feel like I was listened to. So that is my, and I'm using air quotes, trauma. And so then the narratives that you build and the protections that you build and the coping mechanisms that you build around those things uh, can become really unhealthy, like addiction. Totally. And I think that, that there, I mean, this is a gross oversimplification, but they talk about big T trauma and little T trauma. And, and what you talked about might be little T trauma, right? But I think it's dangerous because I fought the trauma thing for years until I was probably like late twenties, um, early thirties. And I kind of had just like, uh, I, I literally had a breakdown, like a emotional and spiritual breakdown. And I think part of that was that I just insisted that I didn't have any trauma. Cause like, I'm not a war vet. Like I never watched anybody die. Um, like there was no, uh, sexual abuse or anything like that. And right. Like, so how dare I? Yeah. There's people with real stuff and I'm not one of them. And I, that forced itself to come unglued and through like a lot of therapy and other things like it, it, I've kind of have a different perspective on that. So, um, 
yeah, there, there's all different types of trauma for sure. Mm-hmm. I so relate to that because, uh, the whole blaming your parents thing, you know, um, I swam in that pool for a long time and then reached a point where I was like, well, okay, at a certain point I need to get out of the pool and dry off and just like function and move on. And Mm -hmm. then you become a parent. And I'm sure that you're already starting to experience this with your daughter and, you know, doing the things that you're like, okay, I'm going to do this differently, or I'm going to do this the same. And the choices that you make on a regular basis, it gives you an appreciation. Like, as you said before, um, your mom putting you down for a nap and the frustration of trying to get a little one down for a nap and, you know, and how you handle it. Uh, but now you have the, the better understanding that you didn't have. And so becoming a parent was huge. Um, and, So that's definitely something that I agree with you on that. Uh, It has always felt weird talking about, you know, my problems. And again, I feel like air quotes go in there because similarly, I have nothing to complain about. And, and, you know, and yet we all have something. And the other thing that you talk about, and I, I have talked to our kids about this in this way is the switch the turning of the switch. We have addiction on uh, both sides of our family, um, on the um, the paternal sides for both uh, my husband and myself. And so with those genetics, I have always been highly attuned to that. And, you know, I'm like, it feels like this dormant thing that if you try the right thing at the right time or whatever it is that a switch is going to get flipped. And that's how I used to describe it to the kids. Yeah. And it's hard to like, yeah, I mean, it's hard to know like when it is. And for some people, like there's some people who seem like they're addicts, but given the right motivation, they'll get, they'll just stop, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and those people are probably not textbook addicts, right? Because um, a lot of addicts are just like, it's like, dude, how many more signs do you need? Like, it, right. I mean, your life is falling apart. You've ruined your family. You're going to be homeless. Like, what else do you need? They're like, no, I got it under control. And so, yeah, I mean, at what point in that person's life is that, is that switch flip? I don't, I don't know. But it definitely seems like if you, if you have the predisposition, like maybe your kids do, maybe they don't, you you know, you have addiction or alcoholism on both sides. You have to ask yourself, like if they grow up in a reasonably stable home and never really get into, you know, drinking heavily or, or doing recreational drugs, like, is that switch ever going to be flipped? And I, I could be wrong, but I don't really think so. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. Yeah, it seems definitely that in this is uh, this seems to be something that nurture seems to be really key in. But then I go back to the, you know, the the worry of okay, so I grew up in a non-traumatic upbringing and yet I had my own stuff, right? And so then I make all these choices like my kids aren't going to feel that way about me. And, you know, now I've got four kids and there are things that apparently I didn't do some things 
right. And they have their own stories and their own narratives that are like, you know, hey, this really stunk or you didn't see me here or this didn't happen. And, you know, I'm like, shoot, you know, here I was uh, trying to avoid those things, except that the problem was I was focusing on the things that I was sensitive about, not the things, not taking into account their sensitivities. Yeah, you got to kind of meet them where they're at. And I'm, I'm sure that, that, you know, I am and will do things that, that need to get worked out in my daughter's life in the future. But um, yeah, you know, you definitely, I mean, I only have a two-year-old, right? Like she can barely talk. So what do I know? But I, I do, I do think it's important to try and meet your kids where they're at. Yeah, no, it's true. And uh, you know, it's a, it's a constant process. Okay. Let's take a really quick break here for uh, a little bit. And then when we come back, we will continue to talk with Dan Faulkner. You're listening to Stacy connects. We'll be right back. Stacy Heller is many things entertaining yet enlightening. She's a talk show host channeling her inner Fallon. Like Winston Wolf, she's a fixer who gets things done with style. Practical, like Dr. Ruth. Stacy isn't afraid of the uncomfortable when searching for answers. She's your biggest fan and sees your potential before you do. Most of all, Stacy Heller is a synapse who can connect impulses and ideas about your business and yourself into possibility. To connect with Stacy, go to StacyConnects.com. Stacy Connects, it's her superpower. Too many relationships are adversely affected by wounds from our past. Lack of connection, unhappiness, shame, and regret are just some of the fallouts we experience when we choose to avoid addressing those wounds. Greg Kuiper of Kuiper Counseling is a psychotherapist committed to re-establishing connection with self to create greater connection with others. His work with teens, individuals, couples, and those struggling with substance use. If you struggle with old wounds or unhealthy narratives, get to the root of them in yourself by contacting Greg Kuiper at KuiperCounseling.com. That's KuiperCounseling.com. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. Welcome back to Stacy Connects. I'm joined by Dan Faulkner, and we have been talking about uh, boys and uh, addiction and uh, alcoholism in general and mental health and just the fact that it seems like, you know, boys are supposed to be strong and that that is what society tells them. And as Dan pointed out, uh you know, there's some message, however subtle it may be, that uh, boys and young men and men are not supposed to feel. And that really messes with, um, then I think, how young men learn to cope with things. And it can be really unhealthy. So uh, now, if you, uh, first of all, I want to ask the question of who presented you with the opportunity to get treatment. Yeah. So it was my, uh, my parents, I was still living at home about to turn 18 and they were, um, 
you know, just, just couldn't take anymore, which I was just completely understandable. And it was basically they're like, you're going to treatment or, you know, you can figure it out on your own, um, outside of the home. And so that is, uh, yeah, that's how I ended up in treatment. Wow. That, uh, that's gotta be a difficult thing as from a parent, because, you know, they must've been somewhat self-aware to know that the environment that you were in, uh, was, was tough. And then yet, uh, you know, part of the recovery process is to explore, you know, your addictions and and acknowledge it and be comfortable with it and own it. And also to explore all these relationships. Were they supportive throughout that process? Well, it was, it's a complicated situation because they're addicts as well. And so like they would steal my stash of pot that I would come home with and then they would smoke it. Um, And so it was like, tough to navigate as a 17 year old. Right. And who was also like very full of anger and just like, this doesn't make any sense. Like they want to kick me out yet. They're, they stole my stash. Right. They're smoking right in front of me. Right. Um, you know, I think dropping me off at treatment was really hard for my dad. You know, the, the parents are supposed to stay on site in a different facility. My mom just kind of avoided it. And mm-hmm. so she didn't go. Um, this is at sundown in Yakima. Okay. My dad, um, he dropped me off, went to the convenience store, got some beer, went back to his room on site and, and just drank, you know, it was just too, too hard for him. And I ended up having to leave home at about six months sober. I, I moved, I got out of treatment, moved back home just because my mom was smoking weed all the time. And I just couldn't, I was newly sober. I just couldn't deal with it. So yeah, it was complicated. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think that's, that's the case. And, uh, once you start to learn who you are as a sober person and see what potential you have, uh, you want to cling to that and do whatever it takes, which then leads me to living a a life of sobriety. And, you know, uh, there is of course the one day at a time and those, those things. And they hopefully uh, collect into a lifetime of sobriety uh, once you've made that decision. It seems though that, you know, I, I know people personally that have been sober for years and years and something turns and off we go again. Mm-hmm. Um and so how do you deal with that uh, for you personally and being a witness to it? Yeah, well, I have a friend, one of my best friends uh, relapsed after 15 years and now he's into meth. He was never into meth before um, wow. and ruined his family. You know, his daughter got sexually assaulted by a meth head that was hanging out at his house. Um, wow. Just all these bad things have happened. And he still has it under control. You know, he wants us all to know it's still under control. And they say uh, in the recovery circles that um, while you're sober, your disease is out in the parking lot doing push-ups waiting for you. And and that's kind of the reality, not in a way that you need to be hyper vigilant all the time, but, you know, this thing never goes away. Like I'm never going to be able to drink like a normal person. Mm-hmm. Um or smoke pot like a normal person or whatever that looks like. Um, and so 
you know, you need to stay on top of it. You need to stay connected to other people who are in, you know, walking your path, you know, work on enlarging your spiritual life, whatever that looks like prayer, meditation, books, um, groups, like whatever it is, like you just, you can't, you can't coast is what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. Well, I have heard it been said that, uh, community is, uh, sort of, uh, one of the ways to cope with addiction that when you have Mm -hmm. community, uh, that community is, is there. And when you feel connected, you're less likely to use. For sure. Yeah. I mean, nobody does it alone. And, uh, you know, thank God for that. I, I wouldn't have been able to, uh, figure this out if just, it was just me. Now, uh, the fact that you, uh, you got clean at 18 and Mm -hmm. really took a long time to establish this, uh, this version of yourself that is who you really were when you were in the gifted program, you know, a little too smart for your own good, um, highly capable, um, obviously a good kid who found ways to numb because that's what you were supposed to and cope. And now that you have uh, continued to work through some of those things and you uh, don't need to numb and cope and you can actually just feel the feels, uh, then you have gotten married and you have a beautiful daughter and tell me about what, what that is like, uh, when you're going through recovery. Yeah, that's a big question. We have a son coming next month as well, (gasps) actually. So, oh my gosh, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like it, does it go back to my, uh, my stasiism about, you know, to the forgiving yourself so that like the things that you deserve and that you deserve this great relationship, like your wife is a doll, um, not a literal doll, obviously. <laughs> um, and you know, and that you, you deserve this happy life and, and all of these good things. Yeah. Oh, I think that's something I struggle with all the time. You know, like I kind of believe that kind of don't at the same time. And, you know, we're, like I said, we're all works in progress and, uh, you know, I, um, I'm still working on that one, but I do think it really helped like mindfulness and meditation has really helped me a lot. That's, that's been a huge piece for me and really in the mindfulness way, like getting back to like feeling your feelings and being honest with yourself about, where you're at. Um, and it just, it helps me navigate it. And I think you said something as we came back from the break, it reminded me of a book. I think it was called emotional agility by mm-hmm. Susan David. Hey, okay. read about a few years ago. And the final story in that book is about, I don't know if it was the author or somebody else, but it's, um, this, this parent and their child just say it was a son. Um, we're in this golf tournament and the son lost a golf ball and it's kind of a little kid, right? Like not a teenager. Mm -hmm. And he just lost it, started crying and just was inconsolable. turns out later he thought that golf balls were really expensive. So he felt really bad that he lost this golf ball. Right. But they didn't know why he was so upset at the time. Right. And he, he basically was like, you know, dad, like, how am I supposed to finish this golf tournament? 
in, in the emotional state I'm in. And he was like, can you cry and play golf at the same time? And for me, like, that's a deep one. Like, can I just, yeah, like I have this emotion uh, that may, you know, maybe the, the world would say I should be angry instead of, you know, feeling sad, or I should be aggressive instead of, you know, feeling this other thing. Like, can I just like, do I need to do, go to work, do this podcast, be with my daughter and feel whatever that is at the same time. And I think that that, that was a huge step for me. I love that. Um, you said you think it's emotional agility. I think so by Susan David. Okay. I'll have to look it up. Um, that is, um, that's a powerful question. And, uh, and the answer is you can do whatever you want. Um, you know, whatever gets you through. Um, I was going to ask you another question and now I got so distracted by that book because that's fascinating to me and the concept of that. Um, so instead take the time to let people know about uh, you, where they can connect with you. If they're looking for a respected uh, agent who has been in the business for a long time, somebody that they can trust, that would be Dan. So how can people connect with you? Yeah, I'm on, um, you know, all the major socials, Facebook, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn. I think uh, Instagram's the Dan Faulkner group. Uh, our website's Dan, not D, but just danfaulknergroup.com. I guess I should probably buy the danfaulknergroup.com domain yeah. at the same time. I just realized that. Thank you. Or maybe just, I, I should buy it and then I'll sell it to you. Sell it to me, yeah. <laughs> um, slight markup. Um yeah, Zen. I'm, you know, you Google my name um, and I'm, I'm all over the internet. I'm not that hard to find. So. No, not at all. Uh, and it shows how accessible you really are. And I appreciate how accessible you are when it comes to uh, one, how you conduct your business. Uh, it is so much from a place of service and gratitude. It is something that uh, I have always admired about you, the way that you conduct your business and the way you conduct your life. And also the accessibility that you share in talking about your own story and, uh, and just opening up the conversation so that other people can maybe learn something uh, about themselves or about a loved one and, you know, give them the support that they need. For sure. I appreciate the words. I really do. Absolutely. Well, and, and they are more than, uh, they are more than words. I think of the people that I know that have struggled with addiction, uh, constantly. It is a, a soft spot for me and, uh, I'm not sure why, but it just is. Um, I'm convinced that there must be some past life stuff going on there. Uh, and I, Right. I mean, I feel like there's something there. And um, and I also appreciate your words about the spirituality piece, because I think when you're facing something that you are out of control and it is so bigger than you, um, understanding that is important. So thank you, Dan. Thanks for being my guest. Thanks, of course, to Eric, who is pretty quiet today because I didn't give him a word. Uh, or an opportunity to get a word in edgewise. Uh, Interestingly, my guest next week, uh, Dan mentioned this uh, controversial book. Uh, My guest is Marjorie Schurz. Uh, She's a holistic ADHD coach, and she also uh, works on uh, microdosing hallucinogenics um, as a form of counseling. So 
kind of an ironic uh, next week guest. A segue for you. Right, exactly. So thanks again, Dan. Have a great week, everybody. And remember to stay connected. 